And welcome back to Astrologically Speaking, episode 3. I hope everyone's feeling uh, great and fine. Yeah, I, I wanted to just preface <clears throat> before we jump into today's episode proper. Um, this will be quite interesting. Today's the first time I think that we will see a lot more um, discussion around what might be, I wouldn't say outright disagreement, um, but what uh, our five, points of Five, 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 five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What kind of... Uh, um, points of view we have on, on certain um, certain aspects uh, and today's will be quite a, quite a prickly topic as well because we're going to be covering generational um, astrology but before we jump into generational um, astrology we wanted to revisit uh, one of the points that we raised uh, in a previous episode regarding a particular prediction that, uh, that one of us made. <laughs> okay, you can see my face. My face is a little bit, um, hmm, yeah, well, so, <laughs> in uh, episode one, I made this declaration, probably this um, Uranus squaring Singapore sun sign has to do with a change in leadership, okay, however, I don't think that um, it's going to be anyone that we expect, meaning that you know, we don't, I don't think, at least I, I don't think it's going to be Lawrence Wong. I don't think it's going to be uh, Ong Kong. And, of course, I'm wrong. <laughs> because um, Lawrence Wong is now the next in line. Now, I think everyone is trying to like flash him out as like, who is this new PM? Uh, who is he about? You know, and I think like even other news sources are trying to, you know, actually do a, like a little like a profile on him about who is the next Singapore uh, PM. It turns out that I am, oh god I hate saying this, I am wrong. <laughs> ah, okay, fine. So yeah. yeah, but in my defense, in my defense, it's still very early, okay? Hmm. Maybe something will change later, we don't know. Hmm. Uh -huh. So uh, we'll see lah. Yeah, um, to be but, fair, to be fair, when we were talking about this, um, um, the nature of Uranus is that it is predictably unpredictable. So what we're seeing now might be might be um, like the surface level expectations, and then we mm. might see some exciting developments um, as we get closer mm. to to our general election. I'm still quite excited to see how uh, Uranus would affect our country going forward in mm. the terms of uh, monetary policy developments and. Mm. Um, but yeah, let's let's keep an eye out. Um, after I found that um, Mr. Lawrence Wong is going to be the next PM, of course I'm a bit ah. Uh, <laughs> at the same time, um, because I think for me, uh, one of the things that I wanted to be very clear about is to see, you know, how his chart is aligned with Singapore's chart. Right? I mean, that's me being me lah. Huh? So I actually snooped around a little bit. Uh, found his birth date. There's no birth time. And I'm seeing some interesting development for, for his chart. You know, if anything, his chart does suggest that he's probably going to be heading towards some big mega changes in his life. You know, there is a, for those of you out there who knows a bit of astrology, his son, his identity is going to go through a transit, a mega Neptune transit. So he's going to feel like a victim or savior type um, and interestingly, um, he's, uh, he has a moon in Taurus, you know, because we don't know his birth time, it may or may not be in Taurus. Given that Singapore has a Uranus transit from Taurus, um, it's very likely that uh, Mr. Lawrence Wong has uh, Uranus in Taurus, I mean, moon in Taurus. So, so that, you know, like he will be the, he would be literally be the Uranus transit for Singapore. Like. Uranus is predictably unpredictable and yeah, I, I definitely agree on that. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him to take the helm. Um, I'm personally quite happy because I live in his constituency, so he's literally my MP. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna see more glitz and, and more like um, nice uh, glamorized kind of like a building around my area. Maybe there'll be a lot of free upgrades, huh? <laughs> so don't know. <laughs> 
So let's earmark that and revisit it in the second or uh, episode down the road. What we wanted to discuss was also related to Lawrence Wong and also related to um, his journey to become the PM, supposedly. Um, and one of the things that he would have to um, face is his appeal or the way that he reaches out to Generation Z. One of the things that we talked about was um, how the PAP is um, going to be challenged um, in the next election because now um, they're gonna we're going to have a new batch of uh, eligible voters um, and they are the Gen Z's. So, so Gen Z will pose a, a challenge, a significant challenge to the ruling party. And one of it is because um, it is in certain people's opinion, okay, mine included, that um, the Gen Z's are all about tearing down existing power structure, um, existing um, establishments in order to create their own, right? So I read this article from, from the Rolling Stones in 2020 um, about the difference between Gen Gen Z and Gen Y, which is the millennials, which is me lah, me and Cliff lah. Um, and one of the one of the things that they posit is that um, Gen Zs are more willing to tear down the whole institution. And what they assert is that Gen Ys, we the millennials, are the ones that are going to preserve, you know, that that institution that we have no qualms about going into institutions to create changes from within. And one of the things that we thought it would be interesting to talk about would be, can astrology give us some clue about how the different generations behave? So let's talk about Gen Z from the perspective of a couple of old Gen Ys, elder millennials. <laughs> hey, wait, 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 I'm not elder millennial. Okay, I'm quite elder. Okay, fine. Fine. I think 89 is considered elder millennial. Anything fine. with an 8 in front is an elder. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yes. Okay, fine. Yeah. I, I agree that I'm a elder millennial. Fine. Even though I'm the, I'm the youngest of the elder millennials. But sure. Okay. Yeah, so um, how do you go about this? Maybe I'll just share... Um, some of my fondest memories of working with my Gen Z kids. Mm. Um, I mean, they they are they use very woke language, la, like you know, yeet and 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 and. Uh, How is yeet woke? I don't know. Like like, they use like um they use very internet very internety kind of slang. You know, I thought lol was like quite hip, right? But it's not hip anymore. You know. No, it's cringe. Yeah, but. But, but that's that's how, that's what I know. So yeah. yeah, whatever. Like some of the stuff that they say, right? I need to watch the show in order to know what they're talking about. Mm. You know, the idea of like what's popular is no longer American centric. It's includes mm. it, it has now included um other forms of media that's from from Korea, uh, from other countries as well. I mean, I only know Korea lah. Maybe they have other countries that they are interested in and I don't know of. So, uh, so that's, that's very interesting for me. Um, and the other thing that I remembered was that um, I was having drama class and you know, Ping Dot just happened, right? And that time I wasn't out to my, my kids yet. Um, and then they were so excited when they, so apparently they went to Ping Dot, right? And they were very excited to show me um, how the Ping Dot video captured a footage of them doing like a hi, they were waving their hands to the camera for like, like three seconds, they were very excited to show me and they were like, so like, oh my God, we're in it, we're in it. You know, they were so excited about it, right? Uh, I felt really proud, you know, um, because I'm, I'm very into the whole liberal left ideas um, of um, LGBTQ, um, the socialist ideals. La. I mean, mm. those ideas is a little bit more liberal. Um, so I'm very, very proud of my kids, you know, um, that they care about such things, you know. And subsequently, like they also talk about environments, they care about environment, you know, they want to make a contribution to the environment. So all these things are just really, really interesting for me. You know? Like this is my experience of Gen Z. Like my experience of them, like if I sum up in like one word is that they are very woke lah. I will say woke is the word lah. My personal experiences with them, interacting with them online and, and in person has been that they 
like what you mentioned, it's very current. It's very contextual as well. Um, you're expected to keep up with a lot of the trends, and um, and and the very nature of that creates a very decentralized pool of trends. It's not just one trend. So I I, I would probably slightly disagree with what you're saying about everything is Korean centric. It's 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 not centric. Um, there are many different tribes. And, and they hang out not on one platform like when it was our time there was no platform to go to except Facebook um, eventually Instagram now it's TikTok, Discord, Twitch uh, so on and so forth right there's so many um, options out there um, and another thing that I really appreciate also is their sense of humor um, it's it's very ironic um, and to be able to grasp irony um, is, is, is like a next level of abstraction um, and so that's not something that a lot of um, the other generations that are grounded in material and concrete logic flows would, uh, would easily catch on. So what was cool one day might be cringe the next. They are, they are quite disruptive, the same way that we Gen Y were disruptive when we first entered the workforce. It's really annoying. <laughs> uh, and now I understand how the Gen X people felt when I first joined the, the company and why. Why did you have to do this? But why? Why? And now the questions instead of why is, why aren't you doing this? What's the, what's the bigger benefit for society? What's the big picture good that we're doing? Um, when we're trying to hire, um, the thing that I'm noticing, and just to caveat again, I'm noticing this from a point of privilege as well because I'm working in big tech. The sort of the kind of candidates that we get in are of a certain caliber. They have had the resources to go through, you know, the kind of training that makes them attractive to big tech companies. Is like, why then should I join your company? What is it that you're doing to help further humanity, protect mm. um, underrepresented mm. groups, uh, protect and conserve the environment? Um, and so now the narrative has been very much on what's the greater good that we're focused on. It's my experience of Gen Z mm. and, and not to discredit your, your, you know, your experiences. I do see that bubbling up once in a while. Mm. Uh, but yeah, if there's one stark thing though, it's the, the lack of human interaction at work. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> it's all, it's all uh, digital now. I want to I want to caveat and say that um probably my lack of human interaction because I teach drama right so yeah. the kids are expected to be very mm. good at human interaction right so probably like I don't see that um I don't see much of that like, I think they're okay I don't think they're bad at human interaction mm. I do see that they they prefer to be on their phones right uh, but I don't see that they are bad at human interaction uh, I also want to add on to what you said about um the humor that they have, right, which is very iron, ironic, right? Some would even go on and say that their humor is quite nihilistic. Yep. Right? Like, uh, I remember, I think for a while, there was this tight pot kind of humor where... Should we uh, define nihilistic? Okay, nihilistic. nihilistic Nihilistic is like this sense of like, um, the world has no meaning. Mm. What's the right? point? Yeah, what's the point, right? Mm. Um, there's a sense of hopelessness in that, you know, and... I've done some research and one of the things that they say um, is that um, because Gen Z, the Gen Zs are hyper-plugged into the internet, um, into the social network and all that, right? They are literally drenched in pools of news all the time. Snapchat and the TikTok, um, there's Facebook, there's Instagram. And um, since, I think since, since the early 2000s or no, sorry. Since the since the mid two thousand, um, in my in my um, JC time, you know, like people were already like documenting um political incidents, um big movements, um using the phone, and they just blasted out to the internet, and everyone can see like live, you know, all this like micro reporting of like what's going on on the ground, which um state media sometimes don't cover, right? So. Imagine, you know, you you are born in that society, you're, you're born, you know, when when the digital age is so advanced that you see this all the time. It's like I'm hyper-plugged into everyone, everywhere, but at the same time, I am also incredibly lonely because there's no real person, right? 
the person that I know exists in video, exists in words, exists in the things that they say, you know, either on internet forums, on uh, or on the posts that they, they, they created. Um, and I think that's, it's very, in some way, it's like the, the connection, the real human connection that you have with someone, it's like, you know, mediate, extremely mediated and cut off. Um, so I can see how um, isolating that can be and how that can lead to some kind of nihilism. To expand on nihilism or nihilism um, in the workplace for, for Gen Z, based on personal experience also, that a sense of helplessness. Um, with the democratization of access to economic opportunity, meaning almost everyone can get access to proper education for a reduced cost and you get, you know, um, uh, diversity quotas and things like that. So it's, it's a lot easier to be able to get a spot at the more coveted companies, right? Mm. Competition has become impossibly more difficult um, mm. during the versus our time. Um, but yeah, and, and but one thing I know, I want to also elaborate a little bit on what you're mentioning about how everyone's more hyper aware or plugged into a constant stream of news. There's a war here, there's a famine there, there's a drought here. Um, that's not necessarily uh, different from anyone that actually is living through um, a near constant like 20 year war, for example. Um, we know some areas of conflict in the world that, 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 that this is a lived reality. However, um, a lot of the actual trauma is now transmitted virtually and consumed mm. as vicarious trauma uh, mm. by, by literally everyone and, and mm. more so um, Gen Z. So um, while we're physically safe in most instances, uh, it's a, there's a shared empathy and a shared experience of that kind of trauma. So it's mm. the world has become more interconnected yet disconnected at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah, um, mm. I think uh, that's a good elaboration on 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 our personal experiences. Do we want to mm. bring the lens of astrology into it? Yeah, um, before I do that, I want to, I want to just, um, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I want to, I don't say I want to disagree, but I want to counterpoint okay, a little sure, bit sure, on sure. that, um, that even though, you know, we went through a time when, you know, the Iraq war is like constantly all the time for like, you know, it only just mm. ended like this year, right? Even though we went through that, um, I think what's really different for the Gen Z is that they are plugged there's a there's like a climate crisis everywhere and previously i think crisis for for our generation even though we know that there's some news all the time um it was very isolated at least in my perspective it felt like it was very isolated to specific areas you know but now there's like now you see like you scroll youtube right suddenly got advertisement from the unhcr telling you that oh syria has a crisis they need donations mm. and then you know the israeli crisis and then this crisis and that crisis yeah our experience of crisis has usually been positive like we are winning we are the good guys mm. and now it's a it's an endless endless you know it's, mm. it's not black and white anymore like yeah. who, who really is the good guy mm -mm -mm. um yeah, and yeah, it's more prevalent. So I agree with you on that point. And also, I think, um, um, like, established world powers were never outright challenged until 2001, um, mm. the 9-11 attacks. Mm. And that's like right bang in the, in the middle of Gen Z, genera um, Generation Z, lah, really, as they were coming up. Mm. So, yeah. Um, mm. I'm just looking at, at one of the articles by McKinsey and, and one of the keywords that they're using is uh, uh, multiple realities. Um, mm, mm. Uh, it's, it's very unlimited. There's a lot of um, uh, facets to mm. who Gen Z is. Um, and talking about facets also, like like um, there's greater acceptance and greater um, readiness to discuss identity, gender identity on the spectrum rather than a mm, mm. he, she, uh, is no longer just they them as well, but you know, mm. where do you, how do you self-identify? And there's so many options. Mm. Um, it's up to you. Rather than, you know, back at us, are you in or are you out of the closet? Mm. Yeah. yeah, so I think definitely, yeah, I definitely see that as well. Um, yeah, I think one, one of the articles that we referenced, right, that we were doing uh, when we were preparing for this podcast is this article from McKinsey.com. 
we we will include this in the in the Show video notes. description. Yeah, probably. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, and one of the things they talk about is how um you know they are aware of this importance to understand different truth. You know, um. You know they are more able to sort of balance out between like I have to embrace the institution and then accept everything from the institutions. They are more able to sort of say that okay, embrace the institution and then at the same time don't abandon the values that I have personally mm. for me. So mm. I think these are very interesting points. Though. I mean, one of the things that you know when I read all these things, one of the things I tell myself is that Gen Z is the one that's going to say. Hey, so um, back to our discussion on Gen Z's, um, astrologically speaking, what's going on for them. So generally speaking, if you have listened to this podcast for a while, you would have known that uh, astrology is not just your sun sign. Huh? It's not saying you cancer, mm. means you cancer. Huh? Um, we look at the totality of your birth chart, which means we look at all the nine planets in the sky, excluding Earth, right? Um, and one of the markers that astrologers use to look at the different generations are the planet that is very, very far away because they move very, very slowly. Mm. And therefore, we see that they sort of demarcate the generations quite well. Okay, mm. And therefore, uh, we are talking about planets like Pluto and Neptune and mm. maybe even uh, Uranus as well. Uh, we Astrologers, we like to call them the outer planets or the generational planets. For Gen Z, something that they have would be um, Pluto in the sign of Sagittarius and Neptune in the sign of Aquarius. So maybe for the purpose of this um, podcast, we'll just ignore Uranus. Huh? Yep. Uh, we'll just talk about um, the Pluto in Sag and Neptune in Aquarius. So we need to compare this with the Gen Y, y. which is the Pluto in Scorpio. Scorpio and the Neptune in Capricorn, and sometimes also Neptune in Sagittarius. Hmm. Um, because I think the planets are very, very different. Okay, so let me summarize again. Um, for the purposes of this discussion, we are defining Generation Z as the generation that was born when Pluto was in the sign of Sagittarius and Neptune was in the sign of Aquarius. To contrast that, Generation Y, our generation, uh, the one that just came before, is uh, the people that were born when Pluto was in the sign of Scorpio and Neptune is in the sign of Capricorn and a little bit of Sagittarius as well. So there's no clear what date to what date because planets move forward and then they move back. But very broadly speaking, these are the brackets. Very broadly speaking, what would be the dates um, you think? Um, I'm looking at it right here. So between 1984 to 1995 would be Gen Y, and then 1995 all the way through to 2008 would be Gen Z. Mm. Actually, I would include the 1981, 82 to be Gen Y also mm. yeah. Because some of them have like a Pluto, like at the end of Libra, moving towards uh, Scorpio. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Okay. more complex shades yeah. of color la, but yes yeah, they, yeah. they will be included as well yeah yeah so um let's talk about okay so maybe let's talk about pluto first uh pluto is the is a planet of unearthing right of unearthing of um power struggle power and powerlessness um and usually in a generation it would it will sort of like inform this thing that the generation, that particular generation is obsessive about. So for Gen Y, which is a batch of us with Pluto in Scorpio, we are obsessed about, in some way obsessing about trying to get to the bottom of things. Sometimes getting to the bottom of things can mean things like the occults, um, psychology, you know, the trauma kind of stuff, um, you know, the, the things that motivate people. Right, um, the, 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 the little takes that motivate us. Um, so I think that's what uh, the Pluto in Scorpio um, generation um, sort of get really, really obsessed about. Um, and I, I think that, that I think for a while, I think a while ago, um, there were a couple of articles talking about how the millennials are very interested in, very into psychology, very into astrology, right? And one of the things that, you know, we, 
I would say would be the cause of that would be the Pluto in Scorpio because it's all about getting to the bottom of things, you know, getting to know the, the really deep thing that, that sort of like drives all of us. Facing the veil. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the um, High Priestess card, la, like, you know. Yes, some of you, yes. if, if you're familiar with tarot archetype, it's like the High Priestess card, trying to peer beyond mm. the veil. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and um, probing deep and all that. And I think also, um, just to add a layer of complexity because because I'm a Scorpio, uh, to make things more complicated because why not? Um, <laughs> it's important to also, when we are making these comparisons, Gen Y versus Gen Z, it's also important to remember where each generation is at their life stage right now. So Gen Y is now approaching... Um, don't say 40s, don't say 40s, don't, yeah. uh, don't say 40s. Uh. <laughs> 30s, 40s, where where I was brought up in a I was brought up in a work environment where the the ongoing narrative was you need to make it by age 40. If not, that's it. You know. Oh you're yeah, done. yeah. Um, Actually, I have a different narrative. You know, like mine is more like a you need to make it by age 30. Well, yeah, but I didn't make it by 30, so I, I moved it back by 10 years. <laughs> Sad. But yeah, yeah. So it is very concrete, very like based on if you don't make it, you're you're washed out, you're you're dead, you're gone. Um, it's very about survival. It's about security as well, which is a Scorpio mm. keyword. Mm. Um, and because of where we are at our at our stage of life, when we are starting to have family, some of us. Um, I was just having this conversation with a very you know long time and close friend. Um, and we were talking about how um, we finally, both of us individually, on our own, we didn't discuss this, found the strength to stand up to our own parents, our own fathers. Uh, and, and, and that made me think about generational trauma. The whole generational trauma thing really started getting traction because of a couple of Gen Y speakers. Um, and some of our colleagues as well um, have chosen to specialize in, in dealing with trauma. And mm. that links with what you said earlier on how a lot of us were curious about psychology, astrology, and, and a lot of the spiritual arts because there's a lot of that unpacking. <laughs> mm. well, I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that word, but because um, it's been overused, but unpacking of um, deep and complex emotions, which is again very Scorpio, yeah, Pluto and Scorpio. Um, yeah, so so that's defining Gen Y and looking at context on where we are on our life journey. This is particularly about uh, Pluto in Scorpio, and we 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 need to talk about sex as well, like because Pluto in Scorpio, yes. right? Sex, mm. right? Uh, yeah. So I think my our generation has a, has a major sexualization in in things. I don't know. Is it is it really necessarily our generation? I don't think so, right? There's a lot of fetishization or discussion mm, of fetishization yeah, of yeah uh, yeah. Uh, a lot of things and races and people uh, mm. and now we are also consciously I don't think we are leading it I really don't know I, I'm not qualified to discuss this but from my impression uh, as part of our decolonialization process we are really investigating the fetishization of a lot of things mm. in our mm. you know culture I'm speaking from an Asian perspective. Like. Yeah, why, why Pluto in Scorpio fetishization? Oh, because sex. Right, right, right. I was slow mm. for a moment there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I definitely resonate with that. Um, I think this generation is about revealing, unearthing and really like purging out what is hidden and sort of like bringing it out in the open, which is the Pluto in Scorpio thing to do. Um, and then the other thing that this generation, um, the Gen Ys uh, have is Neptune in Capricorn mm. and even Neptune in Sagittarius. Um, so Neptune in Sagittarius and Neptune in Capricorn a little bit different. Um, I, I, how do you want to go about this? You want to talk about Neptune, Neptune in Capricorn or Neptune in Sagittarius? Yeah, Neptune in Capricorn is basically you need to make it by 30, 35 and not your, your, you never made it. Yeah, so it's the idealization of the Capricorn. Yeah. Okay, the Capricornian values are this idea of like making it, you know, I need to make it, you know. Um, and yeah, I, I can talk about the Capricorn thing the whole whole day lah because like mm -hmm. I have a lot of Capricorn generational trauma in me. <laughs> um, but essentially with Nep Neptune and Capricorn, most of us um idealize this idea of success. This idea uh, yes, of like, idealize uh, the idea of success. Yes, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Is that sense of like um not just idealizing it, but also giving that giving it so much weight, right? That it is it takes over. Yeah, and, and it's inherently disappointing. 
Mm. I speak from experience, so mm. yeah. Um, I when I started my career, I was in recruitment, um, and I was in I was recruiting for banking and financial services. And one of the benchmarks that we had, if you're in um, investment banking, was the benchmark was every year you needed to increase your salary by a thousand mm. per month. So the target was by your tenth year of working, you needed to draw a minimum of ten thousand dollars. After that, it really depends on your function and and stuff like that. So basically, we even have benchmarks that is very grounded in material standards that mm. can be accounted for. Oh, which is very Capricorn thing, yeah. Yes, correct. What I reflect deeply in myself, there is an ultimate sort of like a idealization with regards to existing structures, mm. existing structures, um, existing. Um, standards, you know, of, yep. of what it means to make it, um, and and then and then you know, feeling like um, it's not gonna happen um, at at the end, you know. I remember like when I was growing up, I idealized the the, I idealized the structure and authority of established hierarchy, you know, like oh, you know, like if someone do something wrong, the police will come and catch the good person, the good people will will prevail one way or another, you know, because um, there's justice in the world, um, the system takes care of everyone, you know, mm. and Neptune in Capricorn, Neptune being this energy of disappointment in the sign of Capricorn, what you get disappointed by is inherently structures itself, like existing structures and existing hierarchies. Mm. And that could possibly be why um, people of our generation, um, they want to go inside the structure and change the structure for the better because I still believe in the structure. I, I feel very called up. <laughs> what I'm trying to do right now um, on a global level is to actually build a robust diversity, equity and inclusion program and then roll it out globally um, because there is so much room for, for that. Uh, and it's, I personally believe it's important. And I guess like what you're saying, like, like Neptune is also about the savior complex. Mm. I'm trying to build something that will save these underrepresented groups. Lah. So um, not completely altruistic, but you know, indicative of this generation's uh, motivations. Lah. I definitely resonate with that. Um, so idealization of structures. So the next thing we want to talk about is Gen Z and the difference in the placement. Um, so for Gen Z's, they have Pluto and Sagittarius, right? And like we say, Pluto is this energy that we are obsessed about. You know, that we, we want to, it's a digging energy. You know, for us, what is the, what is the thing that that generation is trying to dig? And in Sagittarius, it's inherently about truth. You know, it's very interesting because like, I remember, I rem remember very clearly that Gen Z's are born in a time when religious fundamentalism is becoming a thing. You know, because after 9-11, the world really changed, you know, suddenly um, Islamophobia is real and um, and then, you know, then there's the, the, there's the rise of the um, evangelical Christians. I mean, I think they have been around all the time, um, but I think in the, it was in the 2000s when uh, a lot of your friends go to City Harvest Church, a lot of my friends go to City Harvest Church. Uh, and, you know, they try to bring us along and, you know, they try to, there's that sense of like evangelizing, you know. Um, and that's the period, you know, like the, the Gen Z's are born in the period where this idea of truth is very, very important. And this truth has that, has a religious quality, which is, which, you know, which ultimately has that sense of like, there's only one truth. There is a bit of the extremism for um, the Gen Z's, you know, I mean, I think it's still too early to say because they're still quite young. You know, they, they may not be, we may not see the gentler side yet, but one of the things I do see for sure is that there is a, almost an extremism in the way they look at, not, not religion per se, but their beliefs, you know, what is right. Uh, and they can be quite... Um, Militant crusades. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Pluto in Sagittarius already, always reminds me of the crusaders. It's that crusader kind of energy. And it's the, mm. there's only, our job is to make sure that everyone gets converted in mm. some way, right? And it we may not be a, a... We have a mutual friend that's willing to die on their chosen hill. Um, 
and from from an outside perspective it looks like they are in a echo chamber of sorts like this set of beliefs sounds convenient or it resonates very strongly with me and therefore this is the be all end all and i will die on this hill defending this yeah so that's 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 it taken to extremes lah i mean i i'm going to be very honest and say that you know as a sagittarius ascendant i resonate <laughs> there was a period of my there was a period in my life when i believed so strongly in that thing that you know i I would die for it. So it's that similar kind of thing, lah. I mean, I'm not saying I'm the same, mm. uh, but I can resonate, right? So there's that sense of like um, dying for my truth, dying for, um, you know, really going deep and all out, you know, with with the truth that I hold, and there can be nothing but that truth. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, um, I. I do have two planets in Sagittarius, but for me, because I'm overwhelmingly Scorpio, I'll be like, whenever that kind of like, uh, crusade is going on, I'll be like, yeah, cool story, bro. When's lunch? <laughs> it's like mm. I will disengage because ultimately it doesn't matter. What matters mm. is my, you know, survival and and things like that. Um, mm. Morality is all great, but um, what's this? There's this phrase. There's this phrase from a Disney movie. Your morals rise as your tummy feels. Yeah, so mm. it's a Kira Knightley movie. Uh, anyway, but yeah, must that, be a, that, is it Pirates of the Caribbean? No, no, no. It's a uh, Robin Prince of Thieves or something like that. But it's mm. a Kira Knightley version. But that that basically calls to mind the tension between Scorpio and and Sagittarius, mm, mm, mm. and one comes after the other. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, and one of the things that we do see um, as we do some research, right, um, based on this article uh, released by McKinsey McKinsey which I think is a market research firm. I'm not very sure. Actually. Oh, dude! <laughs> Sorry, you are, the, you are the you are the expert on this. What what are they? It's one of the three biggest uh, management consultant uh, consultancy firms in the world. Yes, yes. That means it's a good article. I find one. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. So McKenzie, so, uh, Boston Consulting Group, and Bain. So it's uh, mm. the short form is um, MBB. So it's uh so that means very legit lah. So yeah, when I was reading the article, I was just like, wow, the way they talk about Gen Zs, the the kind of like data they mine, right? I'm just like, what loud? They are all so astrological. Like I can see it astrologically what's going on. I can see based on the placement. I the Gen Z consume for consume for the purpose of you know they buy stuff to support certain causes to support mm. certain truths that they have, you know um. They, they think it's right. There's a rightness in them, which is a very Sagittarius conversation. Yep. You know, like, I do this because it is right. I'm going to buy this because it is right, which is both a, a, a Sagittarius thing and also, I would argue as well, it's also a, there's also an Aquarius thing involved as well. And maybe with that, we should segue to the Neptune and Aquarius uh, bit. Um, so the Neptune Aquarius in um, Gen Z. So Neptune, like we say, is the energy of um, disappointment, the energy of the idealization, that that sort of like trans transcendental idealization, that sense of like I will sacrifice myself for these ideals, kind of like mm. um, energy, right? And with Neptune in Aquarius, this idealization is very much about people, very much about inclusivity, about people, egalitarianism, um, mm. and they are very into those things, like um. A lot of research that I've seen, uh, that I've, I've sort of, sort of like uh, found, is that um, Gen Zs are more likely to be liberal leaning than to be conservative or um, to be like their forebears. La. They're more um, into the LGBTQ issues. They're more into environmental issues. I mean, even Greta Thunberg himself is a Gen Z, right? Herself, um, herself, right? Yeah. But um, I think I think just to add uh, additional clarity around it they are more willing to engage on these issues. Um, I don't think, this is where I disagree and, and mm. drift apart a little bit, I don't mm. think that they are necessarily left-leaning, but I think they are more willing to engage um, mm. on these issues, on opposite ends of the spectrum. So, mm. uh, Actually, you're right. Actually, you're right. I, I want to I yeah, mm. chime, chime in on this. I think you're right because I, I have seen... Um, Gen Zs who are incredibly conservative in, 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 in the way they look at certain things. There has to be a balance, right? There will be cosmic balance when there is one end of the spectrum that's heavier, the other end will naturally 
solidify as well. So if mm. everyone that we are hearing on popular media is um, left leaning, then there is an equal and opposite force on the right mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Aquarius is a very interesting uh, sign. I used to think that Aquarius, you know, is very utopic in the vision and all that, right? But I, I recently I started to realize that Aquarius can be incredibly conservative as well because at the end of the day, what Aquarius cares about as a sign, it cares about inclusion. Left-leaning Aquarius, we, we get it, right? It's about like, I want to be included with um, the bigger conversation. I want to include other people in the bigger conversation, right? But there's also the, the, the more right and conservative leaning uh, Aquarius type, you know, which is very much about how like, okay, whatever is it that you bring to the table uh, to include that would threaten the integrity of the group. And that's when the, the flip side, the more conservative side of Aquarius comes in where they can be quite hardcore about blocking people uh, out, you know, certain beliefs that they don't adhere to, that they don't want to include they will block it out, right? So there is a bit of that. So the Neptune in Aquarius um, conversation um, has the idealization around the idea of inclusivity and inclusion. And that's why, you know, we see uh, my Gen Z students, you know, going to LGBTQ rally, doing a lot of like, you know, caring about environment. Um, and, you know, our some one of our Gen Z friends also, carry, also cares about the environment, you know, hmm. um, and yeah, so I think there's a bit of that, and and that's the and I think that's also the reason why they are more willing to explore K-pop, you know, even Thai uh, Netflix series, um, that sort of thing, because you know the world, for the Aquarian worldview, the world is diverse. It's not there's no central locus of power. Whereas uh, for the millennials, like the two of us, right, there's the there's still that sense of like order and that sense of like um, hierarchical power structure. Mm. Right. But for the Gen Zs, it's a little bit different, you know? I think how this plays out in the workplace, again, coming back is um, our, our definitions of success is very much vertical. Um, by X number of years, you become a manager, you draw a certain amount of salary, and that is successful. Mm. Uh, we contrast that with Generation X, where you buy a house by a certain age, you get married, you have children. Mm. Um, so it's very predefined and very clear-cut, similar to ours. Whereas um, right now, um, the success is not necessarily vertical, it is also horizontal. Mm. Um, you can be a specialist, you don't have to be a manager. Mm. Uh, and because our career structures have glorified management, people management as being successful. We have seen a lot of toxic managers rise into that position, sometimes because they generally are toxic and sometimes because I'm good at what I do, but mm. therefore I become a people manager, which yeah. has absolutely no links at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, now, I, have so, I have so many things to talk about that, you know, yeah. like how, yeah. how like a for like a normal hierarchical structure, the way we promote people is that uh, you are good at the particular content that you do, mm. right? You are a good teacher and therefore I promote you to, to be a head teacher to manage other teachers. But actually, none of our job has prepared us to manage people, right? Which is a really, really interesting data point about where the current power hierarchy prioritize when it comes to um, people and what they care about, you know, they care about, um, there's still that sense of tra traditional sense of like hierarchical kind of structure. Um, it's still about the content. It's never really about the people management, the people process, you know, which then, you know, harks back to episode two, like where we talk about how it's getting more and more important to move into being very people-centered and really to figure out how to manage people, how to, not. it's not about managing them. It's really about how to listen to them. How do you work with them? Um, fun fact, did you know that we are recording this in the shadow period of Mercury Retrograde? No, Mercury Retrograde, no! So you might have heard of Mercury Retrograde and you're probably wondering what is it all about. Um, there's a lot of pop and meme astrology going around and it's like, that says Mercury in retrograde is the end of the world. Don't travel, don't buy electronics, don't sign 
contractual agreements and things like that. But what exactly is Mercury retrograde? Um, by the time this episode is released, I think it will be right smack in the middle of the actual retrograde. Yeah, so if you're listening to this, it uh, yeah, look up and that's Mercury going in reverse. Yeah. Um, okay, you want to explain what retrograde is or Mercury retrograde is? So Mercury retrograde is essentially the appearance of Mercury moving backwards, ghost stunning, like doing a ghost stun, right? It's an illusion. Um, it's not real. It's, they're not. Mercury doesn't actually move backwards. You know, it's it just appears to be retrograde, right? Um, but that is um because of the way astrology works, which is very much about the relative positions of the planets vis-a-vis Earth, um, it would have, it would generate some impact um, on, on all of us. I mean, even though we like to joke about how like, uh, you know, Mercury retrograde is not the end of the world. Um, I don't know about Cliff, but I'm secretly quite afraid of Mercury retrograde. Like, I'm really very careful. I'm very careful on whatever event I plan. If, if I want to sell something, I want to sell a course, I want to sell a... I want to do like a publicity. I want to make sure that I don't do it like when Mercury is in retrograde. Um, like right now, I'm preparing to go London. Um, I'm I'm a bit like scared about like you know what if I get a tickets too late and you know and then Mercury goes retrograde and then my my London plan gets screwed up. Um, I'm also preparing to go Netherlands as well because I want to do some spiritual retreat and I haven't made like commitments to that, so I'm getting a little bit like like finicky, you know, and hmm. a little bit worried about that. Um, I, I guess we will get we will get to that at, at, at one point in time, uh, at some point in time um, in our podcast. But maybe we just, I'll just name it out there right now. Don't everything also blame retrograde lah, huh? If you are bl- when you are blaming the retrograde, when you are blaming like what's happening in the sky, you know, you are taking responsibility from, from yourself, you know, which is, you know, what else can you do? How can you be responsible for the cock-ups and the screw-ups that, that's coming in? For you during this period. The funny thing is I've stopped tracking um, uh, <clears throat> planetary movements already on a day-to-day basis. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's only like I when I get reminded by fellow astrologers that hey Mercury is retrograding, Venus is retrograding, then, mm-hmm. then I actually pay attention. But by and large, because I personally have a Mercury retrograde in my natal chart, that mm-hmm. means I was born when Mercury was going backwards, mm-hmm. um, it's as if I'm always under Mercury retrograde anyway. Um, but I think to summarize, using from my perspective, Mercury, Mercury retrograde, if we look at the textbook definition, um, it, it creates a time where you are a lot more deliberative, you're a lot more analytical, um, whether or not successfully analytical or just running down rabbit holes, um, mm. that remains to be seen. Mm. Um, and because Mercury is uh, closely related to communications, mm. the act of communicating, Therefore, uh, technology that assists with communicating tends to um, require greater scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So that's why your your pop astrology tells you to double check your your contracts, your electronics, your flight mm-hmm. tickets, and things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, that's a very very easy way to understand retrogrades. Another mm-hmm. way also it, it's also important to really look at your personal chart. Just because one planet is going in one direction or the other doesn't mean the entire planet shuts down. If it happens in a particular area of life, then that's where you tend to find yourself focusing more mental energy on. That's mm. just another way of looking at it. Yeah, it's not just communication. It's also the, the act of connecting essentially mm. gets uh, gets gets haywired, you know. Um, because like sometimes um, I do find that like let's say you know for example I'm already late for XYZ events uh, and Mercury is retrograding what happens is that I will take the wrong bus somehow or, or, or the the bus that I'm on that I'm like oh my god I'm going to be late really the bus I own, that I'm on break down you know that sort of thing so yeah it, it's it's also it also sort of attends to commuting as well the act of anything that connects from one end to the other gets sprayed in some way and i, I want to i just want to comment that actually you don't sound like you have mercury retrograde in your chart you know you sound quite lucid la. uh i guess i guess we learn to live with our charts and use it to our advantage la. no because i i have met people with mercury retrograde that really behaves like like their their chart, they have Mercury on retrograde all the time. I think p- probably perhaps like it's the it's the judiciousness of all your 
other planets lah. Oh, another important note is that um, Mercury retrogrades happen between three to four times a year, so it's yeah. actually quite common. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, it's usually a bigger deal when it triggers uh, existing um, big shifts in your life. Uh, this particular retrograde is interesting because it uh, it conjuncts or it hits directly the part of my chart that governs my career and public uh, identity, <gasps> my MC. So um, stay tuned. Um, I, I fingers crossed. It's 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 good news. Um, <laughs> we'll find out at the end of the retrograde. Yeah. So I'll update everyone in the next episode how how this whole retrograde across my career area of the chart looks like. Um, but to expand on that and to to let you know if this retrograde affects you in any significant way, um, it's retrograding or it the. The whole shebang is happening in the signs of Taurus and Gemini. What are the exact degrees again? Late degrees Taurus, so 25 to 29 degrees Taurus and 0 to 5 degrees Gemini. Okay, so, so 25 is, to 0, 25, yeah. 29, 0 to 0 9, to 5. 0 5. to 5 degrees yeah. Gemini, yep. Yeah, so it's actually very... I, I mean, I, I find those are very narrow, very obscure degrees. Um, so... You know, unless you are born in the last few days of Taurus and the early few days of Gemini, then you confirm Gemini. Mm. But if you're not, then uh, probably, uh, yeah, just consult. Mm. Maybe just consult us and, and maybe we yeah. can uh, talk to you about it. Um, so check the area of your chart, like grab one of our chart generators and mm. generate your chart mm. uh, on our websites and then look for the area of the chart of the circle where there is the sign of Taurus and there's the sign of Gemini where it meets, mm. that mm. is where you would find yourself committing more mental resources to mm. during this period of time. Mm. Um, throughout the month of May, la, just, mm. just to, for, for, for ease of, of calculations. Mm. Yeah, and, a bit of, and a bit of June as well. Um, I mean, I, I also want to just end off by sort of just adding that, you know, um, Mercury retrograde is always the best time to journal. I find that I journal more productively when I'm uh, when Mercury is retrograding. Uh, for some reason, maybe it's the whole like moving inwards kind of thing. Um, so you know, if um, if all else fails, you know, journal and figure stuff out with the journal. Okay, so that, that, that's quite a long episode. Um, thank you all for spending time with us. Uh, we hope to hear from you. How are you experiencing this Mercury Retrograde? Leave a comment, drop us a DM. We'd love to hear um, how you're dealing. Mm. And um, yeah, let us know what you'd like to hear us discuss. We've got a couple more episodes left on this season and mm. uh, we'll try and incorporate those ideas as well. Yeah. If not, um, this is Cliff and Gabriel. And yeah. We're going to be signing off. Bye everyone, see you soon. Bye! If you like what you're hearing in this podcast, do follow us on our Instagram handles at gabriel.cs and at cliffneocareerastro. You can also find out more about us on our individual websites at a third and cliffnew.com.